0: Hey okay, everyone, welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Our episode today is entitled Sin is Never Private. Just a little heads up for those of you who may listen to the podcast sometimes with uh, little ones in the car or in listening range. We will be discussing some sensitive subjects on the episode today. You can just take note of that and apply it how you will. Remember though that to become a Christian is to enter a battle against sin. your life. And many of the sins that we battle with we might be tempted to call private sins. Sin is never private though. They may not be obviously visible to others. They're mostly kept between the individual Christian and God. And because of that secretive and hidden nature, these so-called private sins are hard for us to gain victory over. We find it hard to invite other Christians into these personal matters. And just like insect life that thrives under cover of a big rock, so our sin can thrive when it's allowed to remain as an individual Christian's dark secret.
1: That's true, Matthew, and maybe we should give some examples to make this concrete. And maybe the first example that comes into our mind will be the example of pornography. And it's possible to appear spiritual and godly on the outside while nurturing a private addiction to porn. Or it's possible to really want to live for God, but find yourself stumbling again and again over this vice. Now, I don't in any way want to normalize this sin at all, but sadly, it is a fact that this is a huge issue for many Christian men and many Christian women as well. But that's not the only sin like this. There's others too, like uh, playing out sinful fantasies in our minds, or reading certain kinds of romance novels as an unhealthy form of escapism. There is excessive drinking, or inappropriate drug use by ourselves. Uh, Sometimes we can indulge such private and hidden sins such as, you know, coveting, or brooding, or plotting revenge on someone, or throwing ourselves pity parties.
0: that's quite a list you've given us, Mike, and I'm sure we could add more items to that list. And the thing is that we can start to view these private sins as being no big deal, because, well, they don't affect anyone else, or so we think, right? We say, hey, what's the big deal? I'm not hurting anyone else by binging every night on Netflix or by illegally downloading movies and watching them. And when we think like this, we begin to make peace with our sin in our lives, sin that no one else really knows about.
1: Yeah, and many take this to the next level, Matthew. Maybe we can call this level the semi-private level. So just for example, a, a guy and his girlfriend. Now it's not just one individual. It's two people together together. And they've grown up exposed to regular preaching from God's Word in the church. They're not dumb. They know they're not supposed to sleep together until they get married. But they think, hey, this isn't affecting anyone else. I mean, what's the big deal? We, we fully intend to get married someday soon. This is just our private little sin between two consenting adults. Maybe it's not even sin, you know?
0: Right, okay. So we've introduced this concept of private sin, Mike. We've got lots of different examples and variations of what it looks like in different people's lives. And you and I both know for a fact that we've had to struggle with private sins and temptations, and we will have to for the rest of our lives until our future glorification. You and I also know that folks tuning into this are struggling with these things today. And many Christians desperately want help. It's hard to get help sometimes. It's hard to talk about it with others. What help can we expect to get from this episode today?
1: Well, you need to know that you have someone on your side, and his name is the Apostle John. And he wants to help us with our so-called private sins. And trust me, what he says in our passage today, 1 John 5 verses 1 to 5, is very helpful and it teaches us three things about sin. So, number one, sin is never private. Sin is never liberating and sin is never inevitable. In this episode, we'll only have time to tackle the first one. But in my next episode, I hope to cover the, the final two. So let's just settle in and look at this first point that John makes and that is that first, sin is never private. There's no such thing. In other words, it's impossible to go on sinning against God without affecting people around you. So let's see this in our text. First, John says in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So faith in Christ is an evidence of being born again by God. And then he gives a second sign, sign number 2 that you're born of God, is this, everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. So if you love God the father, you're going to love the rest of his children too.
0: Which makes loving God's children, that is other believers, really important then. So I guess the next question is, how do we know if we love God's children? How do we know if we truly love other Christians?
1: Yeah, and John was ready for you on that one. He anticipated your question 2000 years before you asked it, Matthew. And so John says, by this we know that we love the children of God. Well, are you ready for it? He says, by this you know, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. And if that sounds circular, it's because it is. This is how John writes over and over, not with uh, vicious circles, but he writes in a virtuous circle. And, and so he says, how do you know if you're born of God? How do you know if you love God? Well, you're going to love his children. Well, how do you know if you love his children? You know that by if you love God. And love for God shows itself in keeping his commandments. So the way to love God's children is through loving obedience of God's commands. In other words, we love people best when we love God most.
0: And I take it you're saying this is why there's no such thing as private sin to sin, whether privately or publicly, is to break one of God's commandments. And according to the scripture from the Apostle John that you've just read, that isn't just a failure to love God, it's actually a failure to love God's people, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. But it isn't intuitive for us to grasp this, especially in in our culture uh, where there's so much emphasis on our own autonomy. And uh, we live in a very individualistic culture, and we're not really trained to see how our so-called private actions affect other people. And so it's not obvious to us that breaking God's commandment about adultery by committing adultery in the heart through viewing online explicit content is a failure to love other people. So uh, sadly, we need to dwell on this a little bit. So let's say I'm clicking on stuff online I shouldn't be clicking on. David Mathis has pointed out that every click on the internet that we make is like a vote. It's saying, I want more of this, give me more of this. So let me quote him. He says, when you click on seedy links and ads and click around at sleazy sites, you're not just showing and shaping the health of your own soul, but you're also feeding the strength of those sites one click at a time. He says, the private use of the internet is a mirage, a satanic illusion to deceive you into thinking what you do online really doesn't matter. But there is no such thing as truly private use of the internet. Every click has a public dimension. So, even stuff like what thumbnail we linger on, what YouTube video catches our attention, and we allow it to autoplay a little bit so we can see what's going on, all these clicks, all are lingering on inappropriate images, all of it sends messages to sites and curators and algorithms about what we like and what we want more of and incentivizes and ultimately pays for more of the same. And yes, this does uh, ultimately promote se- sex trafficking.
0: Mm-hmm. And while I haven't read this book yet, there are a couple paragraphs from Ray Ortlund's book, The Death of Porn, that I have seen. And it's very good here. He, he helps us see how viewing online pornography is not just something that affects the private user, but it does impact and ruin the people on display. And when we see what viewing such things does to the women involved, I think we learn to change the way we confess our sins to God. He says, no man is helped by using nicey-nice hypocritical words like, I slipped up today, or passive words like, this happened to me. Every man who wants his freedom back must start using true words that match what pornography is. If you're watching it, you're doing it. So how's this for next level honesty, he says. If you look at porn, be honest enough to say to God, today I entertain myself with sexual exploitation. Or, today I joined in the abuse of a woman. Or, today I watched her degradation for my pleasure. Or, today... I took my stand against you and with Satan.
1: Wow, that's powerful. And that is uh, next level honesty for sure. And if anyone is listening and you're thinking, wow, that's really over the top, it's possible that your heart is in a very dangerous state or that you're simply ignorant of what's really going on with pornography. But Matthew, I want to dial it back a bit and just bring it closer to home and show that such private sinning on our part doesn't just affect people way out there, you know, way out in the online world or way out in some other country from ours a long ways away, but it affects all the people around us, the people we care about the most. And by the way, I don't care to go into details in in this forum about shameful stuff in my past, maybe someday, I don't know, but but please know where I'm coming from. I'm personally acquainted with how much my so-called private sins can bring heartbreaking pain to those I love the most. So so let's say you have a Christian man and every two weeks or so he falls and he indulges in trash online and now he thinks, oh yeah, I guess my clicking on that garbage and lingering on it has in some small way added to the demand for such things. and, And I've sinned against other people way out there in the online world, but it's still not harming my wife and kids. It's still not harming my church family as long as I can keep this whole thing hidden from them and not too, you know, not too dominant. But this is delusional thinking, think of it this way. Does this man's wife get the usual warmth and interest from him the next morning at breakfast? Or does she get a more withdrawn husband, a sullen husband, and then she wonders, what have I done wrong to make him unhappy and, and now her day is thrown off? Is this ma- Are this man's children getting the attentive, pure, righteous, respectable father all children of a Christian man should have? Is this man's local church getting the full range of his gifts and love and service or is he pulling back a little from participating in public prayer for instance because of his secret does he pull back and hold back and in talking to the youth or to individual Christians that he could be discipling does he think oh mm, I can't challenge them on that because I'm not being fully obedient in my life and so an opportunity in which he could have built into them is missed because of his own sin Is this man's employer getting the service they deserve? Are his customers getting the service they deserve? Or is he distracted from his responsibilities because he's thinking about that thing he's addicted to? And so you see, it's it's a delusion to think that we can nurture private sin and it's no big deal because it doesn't affect anyone else. It does, it does affect everyone else. Our family, friends, local church, workplace, neighborhood, all are robbed of the fullness of our love and service when we indulge and make peace with so-called private sin in our lives.
0: Excellent points, and you haven't even mentioned what happens when the family members discover the private sin and then there's all the pain of betrayal and the loss of trust and so on. And I know you've used the example of a, a married Christian man, but this is true of us when we're single as well, Mike. I mean, there's there's the pain for coming clean with one's future spouse about one's past. No matter how wise and careful we are and how we plan what we're going to say in those conversations, it's it's going to be awkward. It's going to bring some pain, likely, to the one we love. Now, I imagine some are hearing this and thinking, great, now, now I even feel worse, though, about my ongoing sin struggle. I already felt guilty before, and now you've made me help my, hate myself even more. Well, I know you well enough, Mike, that that's not where you want to leave us. So how can this passage also help us, not just make us feel awful for our failure, but help us and give us some hope and light.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I want this to be helpful and hope-giving. And just to be honest, uh, it's really the next two points that John makes that I think can help us the most in terms of overcoming sin and giving us hope in the struggle. But even this first point is meant to be helpful. And sadly, it's it's all we're going to have time for in this episode, but we'll come back to to the other part in an in episode or two from now. But but just this first point, let's just stay here and see what we can what what ground we can gain from it. So seeing the sinfulness of our sin is key to overcoming it. It might not be sufficient to overcome it, but it is part of it. We need to see the sinfulness of our sin in order to overcome it. And seeing that it's impossible for me to sin privately is actually really important if I'm going to stop indulging it. And I think we see that in the Ortland quote you mentioned. Uh, learning that our sin is never private changes the way we look at it and even the way we talk about it when we confess it to God. And so we learn to talk about it more honestly, no more, oops, I'm sorry, I slipped there. But, Father, I find it hard to believe that I could do such a thing, knowing what it does to you and the damage it brings to me and to those you put around me. So so this truth can become a turning point in our lives. It, it can become uh, the wedge that's just pried open on the privacy of our sin and god can leverage this first point and and use it as the turning point by which we begin to experience victory in our lives if you're listening to this and you know you've made peace with some sin in your life and you've comforted yourself with the lie that it's only affecting you in your individual relationship with god well can i just say this tenderly but but firmly wake up that's delusional thinking see how it's ruining you and it's robbing everyone around you of the fully present and, and whole human being you were made to be.
0: So, Mike, tell me, is, is the flip side of this also true? If there's no such thing as private sin, could we say there's no such thing as private obedience? If there are bad consequences for people around me when I sin, are there good consequences for people around me when I am obedient?
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah, so this is a great point, and this too can be really helpful in the fight against sin as well. Again, um, I think the greater help is going to come later on in the passage, but even as we just work with this, this can be very helpful to, to see that my private obedience isn't private. My personal choice when it's just me and God uh, to obey Him and not fall into temptation, that actually isn't just about me loving God. It's a way of me loving others too. I was... Um, I was speaking to a group of youth recently uh, from this paragraph in in 1 John and I asked them, do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to bless many, many people and have a lasting, positive, life-changing impact on others? We, We all do, right? We all do. I said, you want to love people, you want to help people, well then listen. The biggest way you can have an impact on others is by loving God and by keeping His commandments. It's not an easy thing to quantify, you know. Uh, um, by making the love of God the top priority of her life, Chloe saved taxpayers $125,000 over five years. You know, we can't, we can't quantify it that way. And it's hard to, to put a number on this. But that doesn't change the fact that it's true. It's absolutely true. It's huge, it's real. Nothing can touch the impact of a young man or woman, or a middle-aged man or woman, or an older man or woman who says, my number one priority in life from here on is to love my God and express that love in seeking to obey his word. So come back with me to the example of that Christian husband. Uh, If he doesn't get a rein on his addiction to explicit online content, he will become more and more hooked. He will become a slave of sexual sin, he will become dissatisfied with the spouse God has given him, disinterested in her, and his marital relationship is in big-time trouble. There's no telling where this journey could end, right? Very easily this could end in divorce, in a broken home, in deeply hurt children, and then all of the Christians in the, in the fellowship, too. His wife is going to need major support from dozens of people around her, Some of the children may well turn from the Lord, and we're only getting started on the damage done to many people, and it all started with a man's so-called private sins. You know, the the sin that supposedly was just between him and God. But, here's, here's the hope, here's the other side of it. Let's say, by God's grace, this man wakes up, and he sees the trajectory he's on, and the Holy Spirit convicts him, and he sets his heart on loving God and obeying his commandments, And by the power of the indwelling Christ, he overcomes this sin, and he grows into the attentive, joyful, engaged husband and father he was meant to be, and and, uh, employer and church member and community member and so on. And he saves countless people from grief and hardship, how? Just by loving God and obeying his commandments. And so God launches such people into schools and into workplaces, into neighborhoods, and, and he makes lasting impact on hundreds and sometimes even thousands of people through them.
0: Mm-hmm. Good, encouraging. Mike, let's try and create, let's create a contemporary situation where this truth can speak to these things too. Like maybe a friend confides in us that they're choosing to go down a path of sin. A friend may say, hey, my boyfriend and I have peace about sleeping together before marriage. You know, we've, we've talked about it, we think it's okay. Or maybe someone says, look, I'm attracted to people of the same sex and I think it's okay to experiment with that community a little bit. Like, if this is the way I feel, then it must be okay. And we can think in response, okay, I need to love this person. The Lord Jesus calls me to love him, to love her, so I need to be kind to them. But then we may go one step further in our thoughts and think, well, okay, if I need to be kind to them, I I need to affirm their decision. But this scripture in 1 John says that we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So we're absolutely right, aren't we, to realize our responsibility to love our friend, but we're we're wrong to think that we love them by encouraging them in sin. Once again, the most loving thing we can do is love God more than everything else.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, That's such a relevant situation you're painting there for us, Matthew. Um, Ray Van Nest, in his little commentary in 1 John, he says, we are not loving others well when we disobey God for them or encourage them to be disobedient in any way to God's commands. This cuts right across our culture's idea that loving someone requires one to affirm whatever that person does. Well put. So, yes, we are called to love that friend. But the most loving thing, again, we can do for them is to love God even more than them and to love them by loving God and refusing to uh, compromise the Lord's word for that person.
0: Well put. And as you said earlier, Mike, we love people best when we love God most. Sin is never private. Obedience is never private either. And if we want to do a world of good, let's go in for loving God more than all else thanks for listening to this episode a difficult but important subject and make sure you tune in for mike's next episode teaching through this subject where we're going to think about how sin is never liberating and sin is never inevitable
1: yeah please do check in for that next episode and in the meantime while you wait for that uh don't let us leave you in a very dark place or in a very discouraged place. Please remember the truth of the gospel that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There is abundant grace for you and for all of us as we struggle against the sin in our lives. The Lord bless you. Amen. Amen.